0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Hockey in the Classroom, episode 19. As always with you, Wally Wallacek, and as always with me, down in Big D, Tringo Tony Ringet. Tony, how are we doing today? Good, I can't believe it's September already I know, uh, last time we, it's been a while since we've talked And last time we talked, we weren't talking on the greatest circumstances um, Not just in hockey, but probably uh, in sports all around
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think we talked, what, right after the season Kind of was announced that it was canceled We were talking about the awards and the pro signings And I think I think that was it
0: Yeah, it's been a while, um, but I'm happy to be back uh, recording this episode with you, Um, and I'm sure this is a little bit better than watching the Stars not close it out yesterday. Yeah, they
1: looked like a team that was up 3-1 in the series and was just kind of playing like they had to win one game in three games.
0: Uh, Well, hopefully the Dallas Stars will close out for you next game. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Uh, But, Tony, uh, since the pandemic hit, we obviously know, as well as everybody else, the season did not end the way everybody wanted the season to end, which is going to a Frozen Four and a national championship. The dream for all these guys that are playing college hockey, Um, which was unfortunate to see, um, especially with the amount of talent across the board, across all the conferences in college hockey that we saw going into the conference playoffs it's like we were talking about throughout the season. This was a year that anybody could have won the national championship this year.
1: Yeah, and and you you'll hear us talk a little bit about it with our with our special guest, um spoiler alert, um later on in the in the interview, but I mean, you look at teams like Cornell and North Dakota, Minnesota State, uh Duluth. I mean, right there you have four teams that I think were would anyone have been shocked if that was the frozen four?
0: No, exactly. And then you even talk about like The Big Ten was kind of a big surprise towards the end. A lot of the Big Ten was competing towards the end of the season, not only for a Big Ten championship, but to get themselves into the final 16 there. Um, And I'm talking about Penn State. Uh, Minnesota was making a nice run late in the year. Um, Michigan State was kind of holding on. They were kind of falling off the deep end a little bit towards the end there. But the Big Ten was making a bigger push than I think really any of us were anticipating towards the end of the season there.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I I really wanted to see was how, how hockey East and how, how the Big Ten were going to finish up. I mean, those were two, two conferences that, I mean, I think Boston college is kind of the best team in hockey East, but I mean, really top to bottom, there wasn't a ton of separation in the points.
0: No, exactly. And, you know, you bring up the points and you look at the Big Ten. Michigan, who we ruled out probably early on in the year. Yeah, before the season comes out of, started. Comes out of nowhere in the second half of the season. Starts rattling off some big wins. Uh, and then gets into the Big Ten playoffs. And next thing you know, it this looks like the Michigan team that we've been kind of used to seeing uh, 10, 15 years ago. And now you kind of wonder, is Michigan kind of making a push and a statement here going down further um, into the seasons to come, it's saying, hey, uh, the last year or so, last two years, <laughs> that was just a fluke. We're, we're coming back bigger and better than ever. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Same with Michigan State. I'm personally, and I know we've talked about it on the episodes before, I wrote Michigan State off before we even dropped the first puck on a Friday night, <laughs> Um I had no hope for Michigan State, and they proved me wrong most of the season. I was impressed with them, and I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to take from this past season going on further um, as far as the the guys that are coming in, the guys that they were able to hold on to and really mold uh, this team into the Michigan State team that they used to have in years past.
1: Yeah, and next year I think a big big story is going to be the, the amount of talent that Penn State lost. Uh, Penn State lost a lot of really good players. I mean, they've got some strong guys coming back. I believe they have a transfer or two coming in that um, will probably produce right away. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting, too, to see, you know, when and if this season happens, right? I I think – I know the Ivies for sure, I just read, um, are for sure January 1 will be the earliest that, that they'll play um, and, I mean, the Big Ten with you, look, they just had to vote for football that they are postponing. And what will that do? So it's going to be interesting to see what this season looks like.
0: Yeah. And you just brought up a good point. I was just uh, reading on my notes here. The Ivy League sports, all sports are done at least until January 1. Hockey is impacted by that. Now, we know the Ivy League doesn't start normally till November. So they're not losing three months. They're losing really two months. Now, it's still a big impact for me, for college hockey, and the ECAC. Um And when January 1 comes around, our, we still don't even know if they're going to drop the puck January 1. That's the goal. We don't know if that's going to happen. If it does, it kind of gets you wondering, like, where does the – Ivy League schools now start fitting into a later picture as far as pairwise playoffs and stuff like that. It's gonna be a an interesting and different season that no one's ever seen before. Um, under the circumstances that we're living with today. It's at least as of right now, probably the best case scenario though.
1: Yeah, and, and honestly, I'm kind of and this is just my my thought is I don't know if we'll see college hockey until January anyways. But it brings up an interesting question, too, about will, will they have non-conference games? My thought is there won't be any non-conference games. Well, one of the biggest issues is flying. I, I think teams are going to want to be, you know, getting on a bus. I think there's a lot more control there. And how is that going to impact schools like Alaska? Um, how is that going to impact um, Huntsville? Um, and then you look at a team like Arizona State, who who isn't in a conference, how is that going to impact them if all of a sudden we're saying there's going to be only conference games?
0: Yeah. Um, it, for Arizona State, this is probably the most unfortunate thing that could happen to them uh, because we know Arizona State, since them becoming a Division One program, has been just off the charts good the last two, three seasons but have yet to get into a conference, and it's like you said, now if we go strictly to conference play, Arizona State, they're as far as I've read, they're scheduling more games than they should be because they're anticipating certain games to fall off at some point. It's Smart on their end, but we'll see how it plays out. It's, it's going to be interesting for Arizona State, and I really feel for those guys because that's such a good program right now, uh, what they're building. And after three seasons to kind of put a halt on them, it, that that just really kills the program there um, and what they've really have steamrolled into. When you talk about conference play, the best scenario, especially like how you mentioned it, bus rides can be more controlled by the the schools and the coaching staff. You look at look at Hockey East and maybe kind of like the. NCHC and WCHA are have a better, and maybe the Big Ten too a little bit, have a better control of that just because a lot of the schools can get to one another by bus, and it's like you mentioned. Now you got Alaska out there,
1: even even I mean, the Colorado schools,
0: yeah, and then you got Alabama Huntsville. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate for the schools that have hockey programs right now and are not within really remotely close driving distance to two three other schools in their conference i mean not even in their conference um and so it, it, that's going to be a, a huge huge blow um and really we're kind of waiting to see how that's going to uh, roll out as when we get closer to the season to start if the season does start And and who knows by january one things can be back
1: to a new normal. Um, I don't think we'll ever see the, the old normal, but, um, I, I, it could, who knows? I mean, we've got some great scientists in this country, in this world that, you know, who knows by then we might have a, a vaccine or, or ha- have it more controlled with, with more knowledge on what's going on. So
0: who yeah. knows? I, I mean, the one thing that really bothers and upsets me and you know, I'm fortunate to say that I didn't have to go through this as a student, but I feel for the students, the fans, that college hockey is is a big, big student section sport. And I've always associated when you talk about college hockey, the student section, fan base, it, it it's one it you know, it correlates to one. Uh so when you take away, you know, if there's a possibility that the season starts, but they're saying, Hey, We're not going to have fans for at least, you know, the first two, three months until January 1, and we're going to see where we're at. I think you're really kind of killing the reputation of college hockey. But at the same time, I'm going to be happy that if they can get hockey on the ice, I'm all for it. It's just one of those things where you hate to see the fact that we might not see student sections in the bleachers, heckling the shit out of out of the away st- away teams, which has been known pretty widely across the board to be college hockey.
1: So speaking of that, uh, did you see Tori Krug got tossed out of a game the other day? I
0: did see that. <laughs>
1: I, w- I was definitely chanting Krug's a bitch, Krug's a bitch.
0: <laughs> Good old Western days, lots of lunatics. They all know about that, except now instead of Krug they say four. Yeah, I, oh, I feel like man. they got
1: a little soft.
0: Unoriginal, yeah,
1: well, unoriginal. Not soft, unoriginal.
0: Well, hopefully they can. Hopefully, if they, if, loss and loot. If, if there's no students in the wild, then loss is going to be a different place to play with no students on the, on the whole one side of the arena. So that will be interesting. But if they are in in the arena, if they let them in, I hope that they bring bring hell this year.
1: Yeah, that that team's going to need it with how much they lost uh, this offseason. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and speaking of NCHC, you know, we were talking about earlier, you know, teams that could have gone into and win a national championship. We're talking about the NCHC. Almost all of those teams had a chance, could have made a run. I mean, it was look, at least maybe the top six teams we're talking about here could have made a run in the playoffs. They were that good. Even the bottom five, six records might not show it as well, but they competed. And like you're going, the listeners are going to hear in our interview with our guest later in this episode, you need to come prepared when you play an NCHC team, whether they're one or eight. We're going to give you a run for your money. Um, that's and that's just been the, you know, the blueprint of the NCHC since the start of it. Um, and you know, not to really change topics here so quickly, but you know, we have the old CCHA coming back, and we, you know, rumblings are, are any teams from the NCHC and the WCHA going to move over? Well, we saw some WCHA teams. Pretty much the entire WCHA. Yeah. <laughs> but now we were waiting to see on the NCHC, especially Western and Miami. Now it sounds like, and I don't know if it's been solidified, Miami has not made the move yet, I believe, but I've been reading that they're definitely looking to get out and go to the new CCHA. And I remember reading in, an interview Andy Murray at Western, are you guys looking to move out? And he has no intentions of moving out because he loves the dynamic and the competitiveness of the NCHC. And it's helped him recruit better knowing the fact they're in the NCHC right now. So, and that's been, and that's why, you know, when it was coming to the playoffs, I was kind of seeing, waiting to see is it going to be another NCHC team win the national championship technically, I guess you can say the NCC is still the champion because we don't have A 2020 champion right now
1: yeah i mean it's just such a lot such a lost year but i'm with you like a team like i get a team like miami you know you've been struggling for the last few years um and making that to a point where you know you can get back to that competitive level and getting back to the ncaa tournament but you're absolutely right like a team like western michigan utilize that recruiting you know you look at the amount of talent that andy murray has brought in you know really in the last you know Last four or five years, or four or five, six years, really, um, it's just it's just incredible, and I think a lot of that is because it's it, it's kind of like when you look at the the SEC in football. I mean, some people go to Arkansas just because it's the SEC, or Ole Miss yeah. or Mississippi State. I mean,
0: just you know, you're conference. gonna play in Alabama, Florida, or LSU, and the fact that you just went to an SEC school, you're already big time.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then no. the NCHC, in my mind, is more dominant than the SEC even is.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard not to say no to that, especially with the with the resume the NCHC has put in the national tournament the last five years. So, um, And it's not just Western that we're talking about, too, that's been recruiting well. I mean, North Dakota is still pumping out NHL players. Duluth is pumping on NHL players. Denver's got a bunch of NHLers right now. I mean, so it's not just Western who's been recruiting well just because they're in the NCHC. It's across the board. Um, but I'm with you. I think Miami, if they're making the, the CCHA, is the best move for them. Under a new regime, you know, as we know, Rico Blasi, this was his first year not – I think this was his first year non hockey. hockey. Um, and that was 20-plus years under Rico Blasi. Um, so they're under – you know, they're they're under a new umbrella now. They're trying to re-identify what Miami hockey is and hopefully bring back that, you know, that, that Miami powerhouse that we saw in the, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, I think they're going to eventually get back. And it, it, that's the, the nice thing about college hockey. I think you see a quicker rebound in certain programs. Um, I think it's also going to help them with the travel. You know, Miami was going – Western, I think, was their closest uh, campus to travel to. Other than that, they were flying out to North Dakota, Minnesota, and Colorado. Um, Now you're going to be playing, like, bowling – you'll be within Ohio-Michigan territory majority of the time. So I think if Miami's making the move to CCHA, I think it's a great move for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One thing I I do want to, like, switch gears a little bit to talk about is – you know, some, some fairly recent news. And, and one of them, you know, is, is the WCHA team and that's Alaska Anchorage announced that they're dropping their hockey program. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not too surprised because given the pandemic and, and given the fact that, you know, it's kind of been kicked around with the Alaska schools for a while, that budget, there were definitely budget restraints and, and that could, that could be the sport that goes because it is such an expensive sport. So, Sad to see uh,
0: Anchorage gone. Yeah, I agree. It's like you said, um, it's no shock. This has been going back and forth for quite a while now. Uh, But I'm with you. I I hate seeing programs go. uh, Earlier in the year, Alabama Huntsville initially was gone too. um, And through uh, just – I mean, they have such – and people don't know us. They have such a dedicated fan base down there, uh, which gives me, you know, that – that extra love for Alabama Huntsville that I probably never initially had. But when I started tweeting out and retweeting some of their stuff to get their program back, the amount of Alabama Huntsville people that were, are now following our Twitter handle for hockey in the classroom. So now they're supporting us, um, which was, which is cool to see. And it, just the loyalty down there. Um, and then, you know, they, they get the program back with within, I think less than a month. Uh, from some donations too. So that's awesome to see that Huntsville, though, uh, got to stay on. But, uh, you know, disappointing, uh, Alaska Anchorage is going to be gone, Um, but not a surprise really either.
1: I I feel like – I think it's back in 2011. I'm looking up the article right now. Huntsville, I think – yeah, Huntsville will drop hockey to club status. This was from 2011. So it's
0: it's kind of been a
1: an up and down thing for Huntsville hockey,
0: really over the yeah. last decade. It, it, I think the most surprising thing was when you think about Al, when you hear the word Alabama, the first thing I'm sure everybody thinks of is football, and the last thing they're going to think about is hockey. Um, well, and Huntsville, Huntsville
1: isn't isn't even the first. Alabama, Alabama public school. You'd think of. I mean,
0: I, yeah, if I were exactly. if I were to
1: think of a Alabama school to have Division one hockey, my thought would be Alabama and Tuscaloosa or or Auburn. And then if it wasn't them, it would it would probably be uh, UAB. But yeah, it's Huntsville.
0: Yeah, but I mean, just in general, the fact that in Alabama there's not not a few hundred hockey fans when we're talking a, a closer couple thousand based on just you know alabama huntsville's twitter following um so i mean the and the and like i said they're very very loyal uh dedicated fans so it's awesome to see that when you're going down to play in alabama huntsville you're not going to play in an empty arena (laughs) uh, outside of COVID 19 um you're going down to play in front of fans that are ready to watch you Compete and wear and represent the blue and white jersey. Um, so it's awesome to see, um, that their, their programs back for, for right now. And look, I, I really do wish them the best. I really hope that they can get this program turned around and start pumping out some wins. It'd be nice for not, not only Huntsville, but for college hockey in general.
1: Yeah. I mean, anytime you, anytime you can bring hockey to a non-hockey market is, is incredible. And one thing, and one thing I'll say about hockey fans, you know, in the South, you know, I'm seeing it here in Dallas and granted the last two years that I've been in Dallas, the stars have actually been really good. Um, But it's not like the city of Dallas, you know, yeah, they embrace the stars when the stars are winning, but like the stars, passionate fans, like might be the best fans in Dallas. Like, they're just the star's passionate fans are incredible, but it's yeah. not a huge base.
0: Yeah, and sometimes you don't need hundred thousand fans to support a team. You're just you looking for the those, right ones. Yeah, you just need those few thousand dedicated fans and that's and that's really especially in college hockey, that's all you're asking for. These arenas aren't professional arenas. We're not pumping out twenty, thirty thousand uh fans yeah. at tickets, you know. Uh, Western at at lost arena is one of the smallest ones pumping out barely a couple thousand. And, you know, then you look at North Dakota, they're really the only one that's going to pump out closer to, I think it's closer to 10,000 than 5,000. I could be wrong. Um, But they have obviously a larger arena than certain uh, other universities do. Um, And I mean, I've seen videos and, and I've watched games from Alabama Huntsville in the past. It's a nice arena. Like, I mean, they're doing everything right. It's just they just got to start pumping out wins. Um, and I, I I, really think, you know, with this, the donation and the extra um, encouragement, from the fans and, and the backers that are keeping this program alive right now, I think you're going to see a different Huntsville team on the ice than we've seen in the past. I think you're going to see an, an extra motivated team on the ice.
1: Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. And I think knowing that they have the support of, of the alumni and the fans is is absolutely huge. Um, but with, you know, the good news of Huntsville, Huntsville getting their team, uh, Saint, as we talked about before, St. Thomas, announced that, you know, for 2021-2022, there'll be a Division One program and then um, LIU uh, jumping in. So uh, it's it's exciting to see some some new programs. If I'm not mistaken, LIU's women's team, I, I know they started last year as a V1 program,
0: but I think they actually did pretty good. Yeah, and, and, and you know, just to feed off of what you're saying there, uh, you know, LIU, they, at least as of right now, they're – they're going as an independent. They're going the route of Arizona state right now, which I think we kind of expected, uh, but St. Thomas didn't They They got into the CCHA right away. So when their season kicks off, they're in the conference uh, from the start. So, um, you know, how long will uh, LIU be independent? We'll see. I kind of have a feeling at some point, maybe hockey East will swoop them up, but we'll see how that works out. I
1: see them in the Atlantic.
0: Um, a new program okay. like that, um, I
1: think, you know, looking at the Atlantic, which is, you know, one of the lower tier leagues in, in college hockey, um, I think it could be a natural stepping stone for them. And then who knows how, how things progress. ECAC or, or hockey, hockey East could could
0: be in the cards someday. Yeah. Well, and Tony, speaking about changes, we also had another big change. And I think it's a change that you and I are 100% for and we've talked about it's been needed. And that's the fact that three on three overtime is now across all conferences and it's about fricking time. I love three on three hockey. Oh yeah, me too. Um, But uh, you know, we talked about this, I think early on in the year, I remember, and I've been saying this since I've been watching college hockey, it just made no sense why every conference was so flipping different when we got to overtime, who did an overtime, who did two overtimes, who went to the shootout for, it made no sense um, and then when you're you're looking at the pairwise, I think it makes everything more confusing. But now you have a straight rule, all conferences across the board. After three periods of hockey, if it's not decided, you're going all the three on three overtime. I think it's huge. Three on three overtime in college hockey and in hockey in general has been proven to be exciting and fun to watch. Um, so I'm excited for this rule change. It's, it's been about time
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah there definitely needs to be con- some consistency in how the different conferences
0: do yeah. stuff. now there's still going to be that inconsistency after if they they can't get a th- winner in three on three overtime um from what i've read then we kind of go back you know it's kind of like we're taking two steps forward but we're going to take one step back after the first three on three overtime uh they're saying the conferences are going to basically decide what happens next if you go to a second overtime or you're going to go to a shootout uh, to decide the game. So from that aspect, okay, it is what it is. You know, I can't have everything <laughs> all at once. But the fact that we just got that, that you know, consistent rule change for at least the first overtime is a big step for college hockey. It's going to make things uh, a lot easier to kind of comprehend once we get closer to the playoff time. Baby steps. Exactly. Um, But Tony, um, just really quickly before we kind of take this into the, uh, to our first ever Hockey in the Classroom interview, which I know you and I are both excited to share with everybody. uh, I just really want to quick, before we move on, uh, just two big headliners, um, 2020 Hall of Fame game that was supposed to be played in Nashville between North Dakota and Penn State, which would have been an awesome game to watch in October this year, is being pushed to October 2021. Now, North Dakota has said they will play the Hall of Fame game this year at home, uh, but it will not be against Penn State, at least as of right now. Uh, If we do have a season that kicks off in October and we're only going to conference games, I'm thinking this is going to be a conference team that plays um, at UND this year. Um, and then the other one is the 2020 icebreaker challenge that UMD was hosting this year is now being pushed to October 2021 as well. So um, two big tournament slash games that we're going to be exciting to watch are being pushed back a year. Um, and UND is kind of trying to make up for it this year by still hosting the game, uh, just not against Penn State.
1: Yeah, un- unfortunate, but not really surprising.
0: roll with it. Um but Tony, I mean that's all I've had really and I know we've we haven't talked in a while since, since I think April the last time we recorded, but I mean we've covered a lot here. Um do you want to let everybody know who we got coming up here uh very shortly in our interview that we recorded uh last week.
1: Yeah I'm super excited because this is probably one of my favorite if not my favorite person to follow um when it comes to college hockey. Brad Schlossman of the Grand Forks Herald he covers North Dakota hockey um, I mean, it's amazing his memory and his knowledge of college hockey, and and you all will get the opportunity to hear hear from him in this interview. Um, such a great conversation, um, great talking about about North Dakota hockey. A lot of talk about the NCHC. So if you're a fan of a different conference, um, I apologize. It's definitely heavy on the NCHC and and North Dakota talk, but it was it was it was a great conversation, and I definitely recommend you checking him out on social media. Um well he covers mostly North Dakota and the NCHC, he's got a lot of great insight all around the country.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, this was one of them. I know it's only our first interview on the podcast, uh, but what an outstanding interview. This, I mean, this is, like you said, Brad's knowledge of the game, not just now, not just two years ago. I mean, his knowledge from when he started in the mid-2000s is outstanding i mean the fact that he's able to tell you who played what weekend uh where the players and all that i mean he's not pause, and people are going to see this in the interview he doesn't pause because he's looking this up He is rattling it off as we go um and in his hockey knowledge is uh one of the best um right is for me i would rank him up there with dave Snarman, starman right now as far as hockey college hockey uh knowledge I, that's that that was my impression talking to him last week um like you said it was heavy on north Dakota and the n c h c and the old w c h a but he he's knows his, his hockey all around hockey east e c a c and so forth um but his primary focus is obviously north Dakota and wherever they're played so um but such a fun interview, and we're happy to say that he is We'll have him on at some point, hopefully later this season, if we have a season, um, because obviously we were not done <laughs> talking about college hockey with him after, uh, I think it was over an hour, we talked with him.
1: Yeah, it was definitely great conversation, but do you want to send it over to to our conversation with Brad? Yep,
0: so we are going to go ahead and, and everybody enjoy our first ever interview with Brad Schlossman. All right, it is my honor to introduce our first ever guest on Hockey in the Classroom. This is a big moment for me and Tony. Uh, He works for the Grand Force Herald. He knows everything and anything. Um, I just want to let you know that we are known for butchering last names, so please let me know. How did I do there? (laughs) You know what? The phone
2: cut out for just a brief second and I didn't hear it. So no matter what you said, <laughs> I, it's good. Like, I'm, I'm not even going to know. Uh, right. uh, I have family members who all pronounce it differently.
0: Oh, okay. So, well, that, uh, that's different. So you're, I, you're used to everything. I am. So
2: uh, I usually go with Schlossman.
0: All right. So I was, I was, I was like 98.9% on point there. <laughs> uh, but Brad, how you doing today?
2: Uh, good, good.
0: We're happy to have you on Hockey in the Classroom. mean um, just for, uh, real briefly, I mean, Tony and I, we talk about you on the podcast all the time. We uh, like to steal a lot of your tidbits and, and bring it to our audience. But just real quickly for our audience who don't know you, uh, who is Brad Schlossman?
2: Well, I've uh, covered college hockey for about 15, 16 years now at the Herald, my um, I
0: all right. Uh, well, just real quickly, uh, just before we uh, ran into that technical difficulty, uh, Brad, just get, uh, real quickly, um, if you can re reintroduce yourself to uh, to our our viewers here and just who don't who don't know who Brad Schlausman is.
2: Yeah, I've uh, covered college hockey for the Grand Forks Herald for about fifteen or sixteen years now. Um, you know, and you know we cover uh, quite a bit of uh, obviously primarily the University of North Dakota. But we also cover a lot of the NCHC and, uh, you know, college hockey as a whole. So um, there's a lot of hockey coverage in in the Herald. Yeah, it's 15 years. You've seen a lot of great players (laughs) come in and out the door, haven't you? Seen seen a lot of things. Uh, That's kind of the fun part about the job. Seen a lot of uh, really good players. Seen a lot of crazy things happen. uh, Have a lot of memories from... Uh, not only games in Grand Forks, but from all over the country. been able to travel to a lot of different re- arenas and see, you know, I, it's kind of fun to see what every arena is like Co- college hockey to me. It's kind of like um, going to major league baseball stadiums, you know, like NHL arenas and NBA arenas and even NFL, they're all kind of the same, but you know how baseball parks kind of have their own charm to them. Like every place in college hockey they're all, all these rinks are totally different. Um, and they each kind of have their own charm. So it's a lot of fun to go to these different places and, and see all these different arenas that were built anywhere from, you know, uh, the early 1900s until, uh, just recently. Do you, yeah, do no, you have a
1: favorite rink to go to?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, one of the arenas I really enjoy going to. Is Lawson Arena in Kalamazoo? Um, It's definitely not the nicest arena in the league, but uh, you know, it just is, it's so much different and it's kind of old school. The press box like hangs right over the rink, so you're like right on top of the action. North Dakota and Western Michigan both play a really fast paced uh, intense style of game. So to be right on top of the action for those is a lot of fun. I, I really like going to that one. Uh, you know, even though the press box is usually really jam packed and tight and, uh, can be awkward compared to other arenas. It, it's still a lot of fun to go see two games there every year.
1: People are going to uh, think sure. we paid you to say that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you're, if you're aware of this, Matt and I became friends because of Lawson arena and the and the loss of the lunatics. So,
2: well, I mean, I can see why. I mean, it's it, it is a fun place to see a game, and like that's how I think fans get hooked on college hockey is going to a place like that where it's loud and uh, the fans get really into it. Um, you know, so I'm actually not shocked to hear that uh, that got you guys hooked on college hockey. I, I think that's common for you know buildings like that to get fans hooked.
0: And Tony and I have talked about it plenty of times on our podcast that, uh, I mean, one of the main reasons for at least me in college hockey that makes um, it so exciting and interesting to go to to these different arenas, like, you, like I've never actually heard the baseball analogy before. I mean, it's that's like spot on. Um, but for me, I love seeing the, the how the students get incorporated into the student yeah. sections. Uh, every, almost every arena, it seems like nowadays we're uh, – each one's got essentially a gimmick. The Lawson Lunatics, uh, Michigan State's the Ace A team, and and so forth like that. So uh, for me, it's always been like you know when I go to a different arena, where's the students? I'm right away. I'm asking, where's the student section sitting? Are they high up? Yeah. Are they behind a the goaltender? Are they behind the bot? Where are they at? Because that's where I'm gonna see if if this is a real hockey uh, <laughs> hockey school or not. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and they they have definitely one of the best ones. You know, obviously, North Dakota has a really large one, which isn't surprising, and that's I think, gets a lot of uh, fans hooked on college hockey and Grand Forks. Um, you know, St. Cloud State's probably isn't as big as it was when I started, but they still can get pretty into it there. So that can be a, a fun place to see a game as well, I think. Um, you know, the Colorado schools... They struggle a little bit more to get students there. And obviously, CC's not playing on campus. They will be beginning, uh, not this season, but the following season, they'll have uh, an arena. So um, who's maybe that'll change a little bit. But, you know, they face challenges of uh, kids like to go to the mountains and go skiing on the weekends. So uh, that can
0: be a, a battle they fight there. Yeah, no, good, good call out there. Um, so, I mean, while we're on the topic of arenas and, and you bring in North Dakota, I mean, what makes makes that arena so unique, um, not just from a student's perspective, but just from the a fan base perspective? Because, I mean, when we see the games on TV covered by CBS Sports and, and you know, ESPN and stuff like that, um, it's an arena that seems to always be jam packed, um, loud and a lot of energy from October through March?
2: Well, the first thing that's really unique about it is it's, you know, um, maybe the nicest hockey arena in in the United States. Uh, it's a pretty fancy arena. They just had a new scoreboard put in last year that's absolutely massive. Um, they have, uh, you know, the, the seats are all leather seats with cherry wood armrests. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's a, a super nice arena. It's one of the largest arenas in college hockey, just under 12,000 at seats. Um, when they get standing room only, they can get, you know, just they, they've probably got 12,000 in there before. Um, so it's, it's definitely big. It, it packs people in and the, just the amenities are something that you just don't see in very many arenas, uh, even at the NHL level. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I've, I've, I think I've seen, you know, just from the the show that North Dakota puts on, I don't know if they're still doing that, the inside the glass or, or uh, inside, mm-hmm. what is it, inside the doors um, that they used to produce, and just seeing the, the clips of the, like, behind the scenes of the arena where where people might not get to really indulge in with the locker room, mm-hmm. media rooms, and stuff like that. I mean, and I, I would be one to agree with is that I mean they they kind of blow some uh, I would imagine blow some NHL teams out of the water with what they got there. Yeah, I've covered a
2: number of NHL games and and I've probably been in at least half of the NHL arenas covered games in. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, very unique and um, like you said, they're they're pretty spoiled with their locker room area.
0: I I bet. But it must make a great uh, uh, recruiting aspect there or make recruiting a little bit easier just to show them the locker room and stuff like that. No, no question. Uh, The
2: arena helps in recruiting. Um, You know, I think it's the you know, all the the size, the amenities, the fans, the locker room. And then I know the other thing that they really try to sell recruits on is uh, player development and that um, you know, they, they get, uh, all the ice time they want there. They, they have a massive weight room. They have also a, a shooting room where they can go shoot pucks in and, um, a bunch of different, uh, uh, things that you can use to, uh, develop your game. And that's something they definitely try to sell recruits on.
1: I'm sure the, the best fan base in college hockey doesn't hurt the cause either.
2: And that definitely uh, helps out. That you can bring a kid to a game and he can see twelve thousand people, uh, you know, going crazy. And even you know, on a game day, if if you go out to eat anywhere in town, you know, everyone in the restaurant is going to be wearing their <laughs> UND stuff. It's it's kind of like uh, uh, you know, if you think of big college football programs. Um, if you, if you were to go and, and have like a dinner in Ann Arbor, when Michigan's home for football, you know, no matter where you go, it's going to be packed with people with their Michigan stuff. That's kind of what it's like here on a a hockey weekend when they're in town that you just see, it's kind of the center of attention here.
1: Keeping on the topic of, of North Dakota, because I, I mean, I know for both Matt and I being big college hockey people, I mean, if there's one program you ask us to, to tell tell a non-college hockey fan about it's it's North Dakota is there are there any teams to you that you know were your favorite to cover any players any any really memorable moments
2: yeah you know um yeah there's there's a lot of them and and some of them are smaller moments some of them are you know you just never know when you're going to uh um see something that you're not going to forget I think that's one of the fun parts about it uh I started in 2005 on the beat. The very first freshman class I covered had uh, Jonathan Taves, TJ Oshie, uh, Ryan Duncan, who won the Hobie Baker Award. Uh, I think like seven of them played in the NHL. So uh, that was a, a pretty interesting way to start with all those guys um, coming through the program. Uh, there There are a few teams that stand out to me, of course, in 2016, they won the national championship with uh a, a team that was extremely good the entire year and seemed to do something on a nightly basis that you would just shake your head at, especially their their top line that year. They had uh, Drake Kajula, Nick Schmaltz, and Brock Besser. and and those guys really uh tore through opponents and it was um, it was quite the show. Uh, they put on that year. So that year was uh, pretty memorable. Uh, and then the other, one of the other years that stands out is they had a year and it was 2011, 12, I believe. And they lost a ton of guys the year before they were unbelievable the year before they were the best team in the country. They ended up losing in the frozen four semifinals to Michigan. Uh, it was one zero Uh, Actually, 2-0. They got an empty netter at the end, but essentially a 1-0 game. UND outshot them 40-20 and and just couldn't get one in one of those nights. Um, So they lose all these guys that year. They come back the next year, and they had somebody go out with a season-ending injury every month of the season, I believe. Um, And they were left at the end of the year they couldn't fill out a full lineup. They didn't have enough healthy bodies. So everyone that was healthy played and they still didn't have enough guys to fill their lineup. Um, They had a bunch of like walk-on freshmen who you kind of project is playing as like juniors and seniors maybe. And they were playing like tons of minutes because they had no other choice. And somehow they just kept winning. And it, it was just crazy how this team that, you know, you couldn't even fill out a lineup, had all these guys injured, had all these guys who shouldn't have even been playing, and they were just a machine by the end of the year. They ended up winning the uh, WCHA tournament that year. And, and just it, it, that was just that's something that stands out to me is that team that just you're like, I don't know how they're doing this, but they keep winning. And the most famous game in that run, they were trailing Minnesota in the WCHA semifinals 3-0 with about four minutes to go in the second period, they were getting outshot like 25 to five. It was some, It was just, you're like, okay, they finally ran out of steam. It's over. And then in the third period, they outshot Minnesota like 22 to one, and they scored six straight goals and won. It, it was, you know, it was just wow. something, yeah. That, that, that team was something else. Like they, they ended up losing in the regional final that year but um, that year stands out just cause it was a, uh, how, does this keep happening? How does this team keep winning? But they did.
0: Well, I, just to go back to the 2015 team with the CBS line, mm-hmm. cause just Tony and I got to witness that quite often, uh, especially when I got to, we got to watch our Broncos uh, yeah. try to figure out just that line. uh for me, uh, you know, watching a lot of, and there's been a lot of great North Dakota teams and we, we, praise the history in our podcast to our viewers all the time that uh, it's not just one year it's not every five years I, it's like it you, North Dakota is pumping out great teams almost every year here mm-hmm. that one stands out just to me personally uh, that I, and I still think that today and we had a lot of good teams this this past season but that line of Drake Kajula Brock Besser and Nick Schmaltz might be one of the greatest finds that I've ever seen uh, in college hockey and maybe just in hockey in general. That, that The chemistry those three had on the ice was mm-hmm. uh, something else. I, I mean, they knew exactly where they were, not looking. I still remember the passes in the playoffs, and especially in the national championship game from uh, Schmaltz, I think it was to Kajula.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it, it one of the greatest lines, I think, in college hockey ever. Um, and I know they got a lot of praise that year, uh, and very much well deserved. I don't think they get enough praise as far as like that people not really understand the history and the, the skill level that they brought for that team. Um, that just really just kind of outpowered and, and outplayed a lot of good teams in, in college hockey that year. Well, I think it like
2: you hit the You're spot on it of course they the, all three of them have extremely impressive skill uh they they all were two way players um but sometimes you have a lot of skill and it just doesn't click and for some reason, those guys just clicked uh, like you said they 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 knew where they were gonna be um they, they were really good friends off the ice. I don't know if that helps or not, but, the, you know, they, they just seemed to click. And I, I, I always remember before the national championship game, the big question for Quinnipiac was, um, what do you do with the CBS line? And Ram Pecknold said before the game, uh, the day before, you know, we've we've seen the VZ line at Harvard. We've seen this line. We've seen top lines. We're not going to be um, caught off guard. Well, of course, that line did what they do. <laughs> um, Besser <laughs> had four points. Kajula had two goals. Like Schmaltz made that unbelievable uh, steal and cross-ice pass and put it on Kajula's tape um, for that one goal. By the way, if, if you watch the replay of that goal, the goalie actually got over for that. And Drake had to put it like he had almost no room to put it. And he still put it there. Like, what do you, what do you do if you're the goalie on that play? You, you, you tracked it very well, but you still give up the goal. Um, And anyways, after the game, uh, after he said, you know, we, we've, we've seen lines, big lines before, like this isn't going to catch us off guard. Um, After the game, he comes to his press conference and says, I haven't seen anything like those guys.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that's probably spot on because I mean, a lot of teams that we see it in college hockey, they have the one, maybe two good guys mm-hmm. that really are outstanding. They have the the NHL capability, but North Dakota had three on one line. I mean, when you're you're an opposing coach, you're almost like, shit. What what do we do? <laughs> and and <laughs> what he even thing.
2: said that he, you know, it it, it wasn't just that. Uh, they were cheating for offense. He said what stood out to them is uh, they were constantly swarming in all three zones. And I think that's something that led to their success is that they could turn over a puck at any point on the ice and all of a sudden transition the other way. Um, and, and that's something that made them dangerous. And I, I think the, you know, Drake Kajula and, and Nick Schmaltz led uh, in that sense. Schmaltz got really good at picking guys pockets, like coming up from him and lifting the stick and, and swiping the puck, he, he was unbelievable at that that year. And Kajula, for being a smaller player, uh, plays way bigger than his size and, and has since he, he came to UND. So, yeah, they, those guys just clicked and um, their, their numbers are off the charts. If you look at their plus minuses, uh, they weren't racking up power play goals. They, they, it was like five on five. They were all probably plus 25 or greater that year. Uh, it, it, was, it was just crazy. Like their, their power play numbers were maybe mid in mid of middle of the NCHC that year. They weren't like you know. Sometimes you get these guys with huge numbers that are just racking up monster points on the power play, and they really weren't. They it was like five on five where they were destroying teams.
1: I, I have Hockey DB up right now, and it looks like they were all plus.
2: Forty four to forty six. <laughs> there
1: you go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you just double
0: it. <laughs> Not even close wow. by me. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and that but is- I mean, it puts in perspective like how good they were five on five. And to your point, like that, what that was at the hack was that Hackstalls last year. That was Barry's first year. That's Barry's yeah. first year. So yeah. I mean, you know, you, you credit to Coach Barry. I mean, he knew what he had and he put them on a 5 on 5 even you know even uh on the ice and he really didn't have to worry about on power plays putting all three of them out there you could spread them out on the power play and you know try to develop chemistry elsewhere with other players knowing you have that in your back pocket that your number 1 line 5 on 5 is these three guys and
2: and he you know what
0: he he they they were all
2: in really good shape physically so he felt comfortable uh throwing them out there you know, a little extra if he needed to, if, if they were in a close game, you would start seeing them quite a bit and, and they proved that they could handle that, uh, those extra shifts. Um, and you know, uh, they, they had a really nice, uh, nice setup. Second line too. They called it their heavy line. They had, uh, Austin Pagansky um, you know, Luke Johnson, Rhett Gardner, uh, three big, uh, physical players and they would throw that line against another team's top line. So a lot of times they could open up uh, the CBS line to play against a second, third or fourth line of an opponent because uh, the heavy line was taking on a lot of team you know opponents, top guys. Um, famously, uh, before the semifinal game, Jim Montgomery at Denver, uh, they had a really, really good top line that year too. Um, they had, the, they called it the Pacific rim line. Yeah, I remember that. And, and yeah, they, they were, uh, outstanding. They had Danton Heinen, um, and he was with Trevor Moore and Dylan Gambrell, uh, all of them played in the NHL. So UND was going to have last line change and well, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that the, the heavy line was going to be put on their, their big line. And he challenged Barry to go head-to-head with the top lines. Well, of course, <laughs> Barry didn't take the bait. He, he, he played his matchups. However, at the very end of the game, the game was tied 2-2 with a minute left. And, and they did get uh, a matchup of the two top lines. And that, that's when you, and you ended up scoring the, the go-ahead goal. I don't think it was 100% the, um, the Denver's uh, top line. I think they put a different centerman out there to take the draw. It might have been Gabe Levin taking it, but um, anyways, uh, they, they semi-got that matchup, and, and Nick Schmaltz ended up scoring the winner.
0: Uh, before we move, move away from the 2015 team, I, the one thing I like pointing out, too, is, you know, we, we focus so much on, especially the CBS line, but how – Barry was able to run four great offensive lines. You almost kind of forget that North Dakota had good guys on the blue line yeah. that could skate, move the puck, and were shut down defensemen. And I don't know if this was the 2015 year, I'll let you correct me, but I remember the names of Gage Osmus, Dylan Simpson, Troy Stetcher. They were shutting guys down, but you almost forget about because you get, especially the CBS line out there, who are doing things you, you just don't see every day in college hockey no look passes tic-tac-toe um you know flying up and down the ice and stuff like that and but in north dakota and then even with the goaltending you guys had good good, good goaltending too mean, it was that 2015 team was just such a complete team that i don't think comes as often in college hockey as maybe people hope or think um you only you sometimes get one piece or the other and 2015, North Dakota had all three pretty locked and loaded. It was hard to bet against North Dakota yeah. winning a championship that year.
2: Yeah, the, the defense, uh, I know for people in Grand Forks, uh, people knew how good their decor was, but a lot of uh, people forget that that d was, you know, really, really good. Four of the six guys who played in the national title game uh, are playing in the NHL right now. Uh, you got uh, Stetcher's playing for... Uh, Vancouver, Paula Dew's playing for the LA Kings. Uh, Tucker Pullman's playing for Winnipeg. Christian willannon's playing for Ottawa. And then, you know, like you said, they had Gage Osmus, Keaton Thompson, who were both good players. Hayden Shaw played a lot as a freshman. So, um, yeah, that, that the decor, as much as the CBS line was really, really good, uh, you know, you'll have people around here argue that the D was the strength of that team. You know, but the truth is both of them, both the top line and that decor is what what fueled it.
1: Keeping on the topic of this of that team, um, this is a more selfish question. As being a Stars fan, um, what can I expect out of Red Gardner?
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I, I it was uh, you, you know I saw him uh, get the call up this year for a little bit. He's uh, uh, a guy who the stars I'm sure will peg is a uh, center on the third or fourth line because he's big, he's physical, he wins draws. He can play that shutdown role. And I think that's kind of where they have him pegged to try to uh, play there. But uh, obviously <laughs> that's a tough line of lineup to crack. They're playing real well right now. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, he, he got some action in this year and, uh you know, it would have been nice to see him uh, get uh, taken to the bubble, but I know he's not there right now. So, um, yeah, uh, I'll be curious to see where he goes from here.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping to, hoping to see him at the American Airlines Center this winter, whenever whenever hockey comes back again.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's an unknown for us. Uh, and I guess really, Brad, I mean, let's kind of just – the big elephant in the room, we all know it happened – You know, end of the year, pandemic hit, college hockey abruptly ends. And for Tony and I, we talked about this, especially our last few podcasts. This was a year for at least uh, a college hockey fan where there wasn't a true favorite, at least from our perspective, to run away with and win a national championship. We thought this was going to be one of the most competitive uh, playoffs in college hockey in quite some time, and, and just what, what was your viewpoint before the pandemic hit, and college and hockey unfortunately had to end here.
2: Yeah, you know, for for uh, for North Dakota, you know, they had a an unbelievably good team. Um You know, they're twenty six five and four eight hundred winning percentage. I think that's the fourth best all time in program history. Um. You know, one of the top three would have been that 16 team we just talked about. Uh, I think the 87 team, which won a national title was in there, and then the 99 team, and then it was this team. So, uh, you know, I think they fully expected that they were going to win a national championship this year. And um, one thing that stood out uh, to me, I'm getting heavy on North Dakota here right now, but uh, chatter, but they had uh, a really, really good shutdown line. Uh, that they would uh, throw on people. Uh, Cole Smith, who just had an unbelievable senior year. Uh, I know uh, when Andy Murray was here, he said, uh, the guy on North Dakota's team that gives him nightmares is Cole Smith. Uh, Just a a tremendous shutdown guy. He was with Mark Senden and Gavin Hain. And uh, anytime UND was home and had last change, they would throw those guys on uh, the opponent's top line. Then all of a sudden you would have the Kawaguchi uh, line with um, Adams and Mismash or else Shane Pinto's line playing against one of the other team's third lines. And those were huge mismatches. And when UND had the last line change this year, they played 19 games where they had the last line change. They won 18 of them. So they were going to be the number one seed, they were going to have last line change throughout the tournament. I think they really liked their chances. The other thing that stood out to me was when this team got up for a a game or a weekend, they were really, really good. Um, I remember they had that big rivalry game where they went to Minnesota on Thanksgiving day, the first night they went and scored nine goals and hammered them nine to three. Uh, you know, when, when they wanted to put the pedal down, they, these were pretty good at that. Um, the other thing that stood out to me was, it, and I think, I think this went back to the previous year, uh, the eighteen nineteen season, things didn't go well for North Dakota. If you look at their possession and shot totals, I, they lost double digit games uh, that year where they outshot their opponent by double digits by 10 or more. So when you outshoot your opponent by 10 or more and you lose 11 times, like, I've never heard of that before. Um, This team could not score goals for the life of them. They would generate tons of chances they couldn't score goals. And I think they – but for some – throughout the year, they came to play every night. Like, they didn't have any nights off. Like, I can't even remember a night where I was like, they just didn't show up tonight. Like, no matter how frustrated they got, they came back the next night And played the same way. And I think they got used to that, where they had to play 60 minutes all out every night to have a shot to try to score enough. Well, then last year comes and the goals start coming, but they never changed the way they played. So if they got a big lead on someone, they would just keep scoring because they're not used to taking their foot off the pedal. They would just keep coming. And we saw it several times. You know, the first weekend, they put up eight against Canisius. They put up seven against Miami, nine against Minnesota. They went out to Lawson and scored eight goals in that second game. Um, You know, they scored eight against CC. Uh, They had all these games where they just piled up goals. So uh, they were loaded. I, I thought they had a really good chance. A couple of the other teams that stood out, Minnesota State, Mankato, they were absolutely loaded, too. I I thought that team was great. They had a really, really good top line. They had depth. They had a blue line. They had goaltending. That team was really complete. And it's a shame for them. They've never won an NCAA tournament game in their program's history. This could have been that year. Um, Cornell, another team you got to feel bad for. Uh, Cornell, they were number one in the polls. North Dakota was number one in the pairwise. I believe if I'm not mistaken, Cornell might've been number one or number two in both the men's and women's side. Like they they were trying to win a national title in both men's and women's hockey the same year. And of course that's a bad year for it to get wiped out for them. They had a really, they only lost two games. So they were really good. BC was playing really good at the end of the year. And then, um, from your guys' perspective, uh, I was really high on Western Michigan coming into the year. What did I rank them preseason? Third? Yeah, you're uh, pretty high. Uh, so, so they had this loaded lineup and they got, they were hurt all year. Like we almost didn't see their team all year long. All of a sudden at the end of the year, they were healthy. And the one big question, we knew they could score with any team in the country, right? Like offensively, they were extremely explosive. I remember they played Duluth in the second half uh, one of the last weekends of the year uh, Duluth's up in the third period uh, three to two and Western scores like three goals in two minutes and boom, it's over. Like that team could do that to you. Like they, they they were just very offensive. The question mark for Western was, could they defend? And that second to last weekend, they came to North Dakota and played back-to-back games against North Dakota, as well as anyone has all year. And they really held North Dakota's offense down. Um, The first night was three to one. The second night was two to one in overtime and they defended really well. The second night, they didn't even have their starting goalie and they still held them to two goals. Yeah. I remember that. Um, So I really wanted to see what Western could have done in the playoffs just because we know they can score. They looked like they were defending well. Um, They were playing well at the end of the year when they had their team healthy and, you know, uh, that was another team I, I really wanted to see play in the tournament.
1: Yeah, we we had a lot of optimism coming into this year. And and like you said, those injuries didn't help. It seems like every year Western's got a good team. Some in, the injury bug hits them at some point, whether it's the beginning of the season or what What mm-hmm. year was that, Matt? Was it 20, 2016? I think it was yeah, there were a couple of years
0: where there was a couple of years where it was like around January and February, like the worst yeah. time you want, you yeah. want your star players to go down. Um, and, and Western just boom, here comes the injury bug at the worst time of the season and really kind of knocked themselves out of contention. Uh, not, not counting this past year, but the years prior, unfortunately. Uh, but I, you know, Brad, I'm with you. And Tony and I talked about it before, I've been, and it, it, this is a little biased, I'll admit it, but um, being around Western hockey for the last uh, 10 years or so and watching them play, uh, I said for the last three years now that this team that we just saw this past season and the past two to three seasons has probably been one of the strongest uh, teams that Andy Murray has put together mm-hmm. uh, and collectively from – not just a defensive, I mean, Andy Murray's Bronco teams are traditionally known for being defensive, a defensive minded team. They like to hit. We've never seen an Andy Murray team with speed and offense until the last two, three seasons. And you get the largest returning senior class in college hockey come back for one purpose. And that's because there was unfinished business from the year before. And then when, like you just said, when all the pieces seem to be clicking together um, and then the pandemic happens, unfortunately, and it's not just what it's for everybody. And there was a lot of good stories in college hockey this year that could have ended very interesting and exciting. And so they'll just be questions at this point for the rest of the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll never know
0: what would have happened.
2: But yeah, you know, they, they had that uh, decorated senior class and. Um, I, I think you see the talent they had when you've seen how many guys have signed NHL deals from that class. And even from the team as a whole, you know, Austin Ruschoff, uh getting a pro deal and he was a junior and, you know, you know Cam Lee was a free agent and he signed, you know, uh, they, they had a lot of guys that, that could play on that team. So, um, but yeah, it, the crazy part for them is that, this last year, it was it. everyone got hurt. It seemed like at some point, but like that the year you're talking about a couple of years ago, um, it, it was the, it w- it wasn't just guys that got hurt. It was their best players. Like it was Allison, it was Conrad. Uh, your yeah. two best players go at the same. I think it might have even been the same weekend they
0: both went yeah, out. It, it, yeah, uh, It's it back to back. It yeah. was Friday and Saturday night. It was yeah. the, the the worst luck you can imagine. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and
2: and that's. Tough to come back from for anybody. So, uh, you know, Andy hasn't had a whole lot of luck with some of those injuries.
0: Well, and you mentioned earlier that the North Dakota team from 2011 that was just eaten alive with injuries and you had guys Mm -hmm. stepping in and you guys couldn't put a complete roster together. I remember there was at least two or possibly three weeks this past season where Andy Murray with injuries didn't have any extra bodies yeah and they were all way games yeah. and he was running running on fumes essentially yeah uh, a lot of fresh and, and this is this has been an andy murray thing that we've noticed uh really kind of after his first year taking over for black Hill, maybe the first two years he likes giving the freshmen chances and he he'll, he is not afraid to play them if, if they're earning it um during the week and so it, it's not so much that he was afraid to put freshmen in to fill in for the injuries. Um but I think the most impressive thing was was how well they all collectively were playing because a lot of these guys weren't haven't really played together. I mean outside of practice and now you're telling them hey you got to go play Saint Cloud State and you know Minnesota Duluth right now and, and just just compete. I mean, the expectations they would imagine were probably like you know let's try to split <laughs> but I just want to make sure we're playing well and getting healthy. And, you know, kind of in the same realm as the 2011 North Dakota team, they were putting up wins when really I think people were kind of writing them off for those couple of weeks with the injuries.
2: Yeah, there were more than a few nights when the line charts came out at 6 o'clock and I was scratching my head saying, oh, my goodness, <laughs> they have another, you know, because it seemed like there was an injury that was popping up every night for them and they were fitting guys in different roles and you're like, he's playing with him? What? Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, they were definitely uh, uh, a tough out for anyone to play.
0: Um, kind of switching gears here. So, I mean, Brad, you've seen the best of the best in the WCHA when North Dakota was in there. And now you've seen the best of the best in what at least Tony and I have viewed as one of the most dominant college hockey conferences, at least currently in being the NCHC. Uh, from your perspective it, it, is is there a style change to, you know is there a difference in you know between the two conferences that you've witnessed with North Dakota being in both of them you know is is one conference uh a little bit more speed with with the opponents more physical is there any difference that you've seen going from the WCHA to the NCHC?
2: Well, for me the biggest difference is the depth of the league, Uh, the old WCHA had some really, really high end good teams, but they also had a couple teams at the bottom of the standings where you knew there was a good chance there was going to be a sweep that weekend. Um, Alaska Anchorage had some bad teams. Uh, Michigan tech had some bad teams in there. Um, Even, you know, Minnesota state had some fairly below average teams. Uh, There were, Uh, Minnesota state was really up and down because they had some really, really good teams and then they had some not so good teams, but, um, there were always, there there was always a series once every three weeks, maybe, or two, three weeks where, um, you could pretty much bet that there was going to be a sweep more, more than likely. And it's just not the case in the NCHC, uh, the worst team on any given night, uh, you know, can beat the best team. Uh, I go into each week and not knowing what to expect. You know, I've uh, Omaha has finished uh, in the bottom half more often than not. And any time they beat someone, it's not a surprise at all. Whereas in the old WCHA, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, this team beat this team. Um, that's not the case. I, I think... Um, maybe a couple of years ago, CC had a team that wasn't very good, uh, outside of that, um, that, that's what stands out to me is we, you go watch a team play a last place team and you look at the line chart and you say, man, this is a pretty good team. And so I, I think that's what stands out is that there really isn't that weekend where you get a breather or where you can play bad and still win. If you play bad, you're going to lose. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest difference.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing we've we've always talked about too. Is just that the absolute depth and and how much better CC has gotten over the last couple of yeah. years.
2: Yeah. And and I think when you look at the national tournament and you see uh, the NCHC has really dominated the national tournament the last few years, I do think the league has a big uh, reason to do with that. When, like I said, they get used to this they cannot take a day off or they're going to lose and get embarrassed. And I think these teams get used to that, that they have to bring it every single game. And once you get into the national tournament, um, they're already uh, used to uh, getting challenged every single night and uh, playing with the realization that if you have an off night, it's going to be really bad. And, uh, it, it's just been interesting to see some of these NCHC teams just overwhelm teams from other leagues. Um, you know, I, I, there are several games I can think back to. Uh, of course, the 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 one I covered in in sixteen, you know, Quinnipiac had an amazing year. They lost four times all year, and they were totally overwhelmed by North Dakota in that game. In fact, the only game North Dakota had that was relatively, you know, even was the Denver game, the team against their league. Uh, the others, the chances and shots were pretty lopsided, the other three games. And then the next year, it was two NCHC teams in the final. Duluth and, and Denver played it. Um, I, I remember uh, another year, um, Denver lost to UMass in that uh, semifinal game. Well, if you remember... Denver was getting outplayed almost every night at the end of that season. And Philip Larson was just standing on his head every night and they were getting out shot by 10, 15 shots and pulling out these wins. Um, and then they go and play UMass and Denver completely dominated the chances in that game. They ended up losing. But when I saw Denver dominating those chances, it was like, Oh man, U- UMass isn't, it's not going to go well against Duluth if they don't, if they play like this and sure enough, uh, Duluth dominated them. So I, you know, I, I think it has prepared NCHC teams very well for the national tournament.
0: You know, and you bring up a good point um, that I've kind of thought about. And I know we've talked about two previously on our podcast here. And, and that's that, you know, you said that the league has really helped with, with the success in the national tournament. And it's really, you know, the, the, when you said that the first thing that came to my mind was, Well, we just have now the new, the new CCHA. And I remember Andy Murray was asked, are you going to go back to the CCHA now? Or is that something that you see in Western's future? And, uh, and his, I remember his quote exactly was he doesn't want to do that because, because he's going to lose more leaving the NCHC from recruiting and a competitive play. And I'm not really trying to downplay the CCHA or, or any of the other hockey conferences, but it's just a matter of fact that Mm -hmm. the NCHC, the last five years, five, six years has dominated. And it's not from one team. And we're putting together, like you said, eight solid teams on the ice weekend and week out. And if Andy Murray or any other team just kind of left, to go take their chances in a new conference that, yeah, maybe they'll win that conference every year, but from a, na- from a national standpoint, are they going to be ready? I think if you play in the NCHC, you're ready to win a national championship.
2: Yeah. If you can make it through that schedule and be uh, in the tournament, um, it, you know, I, I think that puts you in a position to challenge for it. So, um, you know, last year, you know, North Dakota was the the best team in the league. I think, you know, they had a great chance to win the title. Um, Minnesota Duluth was playing well at the end of the season. They had a chance. Um, you know, Western Michigan, uh, they're extremely dangerous. Uh, you know, Denver, they, they made the the national championship or the national semifinals the year before. You know, there were a bunch of teams that were going to be uh, tough outs for anyone.
0: Well, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, and and like I said, like, I'm not trying to downplay the other hockey conferences, but, you know, from years past, I mean, college hockey's got such a vast history that I don't think a lot of people understand or might not know about, um, outside from the ones that are really dedicated to watching it. But, I mean, you know, when you talk about dominating hockey, you know, back in the day, it was Hockey East, Mm -hmm. WCHA. And really, ever since the n c h c has come into their own, and i mean i 'll be the first to admit I was kind of not thrilled about it. I loved the old c c h a mm-hmm. um i was I was really upset when the big Ten decided to run their own mm-hmm. thing there and really break up the tradition of the old c c h a and the old w c h a but the n c h c ever since that first year and you and you see that you know. Just because there's North Dakota in here with that history, that's just because there's Minnesota. Do doesn't mean that these two are running away with the yeah. Penrose each yeah. year. This doesn't mean that they're running away with a Natty every year. Yeah. Especially this past season, that those top four teams were alternating positions almost every weekend, and then you throw in the bottom four. It's like you said, Brad. You know, just because CC or Omaha's at the bottom doesn't mean you're walking into that barn. With two wins, yeah. Coach Havlin is going to put something on the ice and say, "And Western knows from firsthand with CC what they can do, and and you know upsetting your dreams from two years ago. Uh, they're they're going to make you earn it. And I think that's been really kind of the whole league, uh, or the whole conference in, in itself is, if you're coming in to play an NCHC team, get ready for 60 minutes and try to earn this win." Yeah, I guess uh, a
2: a good way of uh, summing it up is Minnesota Duluth has won back-to-back national championships and played in three straight national championship games, and they've never won the league. That's
0: that that is spot on. I don't know how. Yeah, and because I think of those years too. I think what North did North Dakota or St. or was it St. Cloud or Denver won one.
2: Yeah, St. Cloud it, had an amazing team. Uh, one, they they might have won both of them. Yeah, because they lost. Uh, they ended up losing to um, Denver. Won the league the year that Denver beat Duluth in the final, and then St. Cloud won back to back Penrose Cups. Uh, and then they ended up getting upset in the first round by Air Force and by uh, AIC.
0: Yeah, I think that was the most shocking thing of the whole tournament was that first round upset. But, you know, it. it I think that's what makes hockey especially college hockey kind of is when you get to the national stage. Just because someone's got, you know, in their bracket a number four and not a number one doesn't mean that that number one's walking out. And we've seen in the last couple of years a four take out of one seed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I always think that uh, sports in general can be cyclical. And so I, I hesitate to, you know, say the NCHC is, uh, you know, it, it has been the conference dominant conference, but you kind of wait for hockey East to take that back, but it hasn't happened yet. Like it, I, I'm waiting for it to happen and it just hasn't. So um, you got to uh, give credit where it's due. And that's with the NCHC teams right
0: now. And Hockey East is putting together a lot of great teams. I mean, yeah. we just saw this past season, how closely, and Tony likes to bring it up all the time, how closely um, that, that conference is week in and week out. Um, and, you know, the, the players, they pump out. But to your point, they're not winning a national championship. They're not getting far in the national tournament and we're seeing the NCHC go further. And it, so to your point, you know, w- when will hockey take kind of back their reign <laughs> of being the dominant college hockey conference? Yeah. You, you kind of think that it's going to go back and forth. Like maybe the
2: NCH have a couple good years and then someone else will. And then, but it's, you know, we're, we're going on like six years now where the NCHC has been really good. So Um, yeah, I, you you gotta, someone's gotta knock them off to, uh, and and sustain it too. It's not like it's been one odd year where they were really good. It's, it's been like five in a row where they've had the best, uh, out of conference record.
1: Kind kind of moving forward to next year and, and kind of wrapping this up, um, we obviously there's a lot of uncertainty around what next season's going to look like. If if there will be a season, let's hope let's hope there is. Um, but saying there is is, what are your predictions? Who any teams you think stand out to you early on? I'm sure North Dakota is one of those bringing back some really strong players.
2: I'm I'm guessing they'll be the the preseason number one, just with the, they bring back tons of guys from last year's team. They have uh, probably the best. Uh, incoming recruiting class in the NCHC. Um, I I think Denver is going to be pretty good, even though they lost a a couple of really key pieces. They lost Emilio Patterson signed with uh, uh, the flames and Ian Mitchell with uh, the Blackhawks. And those are some pretty big losses, but they've got some good players coming in. I think Bobby Brink is going to be a star in the league. Uh, their D they've got some nice pieces. It'll be interesting to see who takes that offensive defenseman role for them because Ian Mitchell has held that down the last few years. And I, I don't know uh, if any of their current guys are going to be super offensive, but maybe we'll see if they get put in that position. Um, you know, Minnesota Duluth, uh, we'll see how they do. They they lost a lot of pieces. Um, they have a lot of question marks. So um, I, I thought last year when Scott Perinovich wasn't on the ice, even they, they became uh, an average team. We'll, we'll see what they, what they do without him. And of course they, it wasn't just him. They lost Samberg on the back end and Nick Wolf. They lost their goalie Hunter Shepard. Uh, they lost one of their centermen, Justin Richards. So they got a lot of pieces to, to replace there in, in Duluth. Um, you know, Western too, they tons of question marks, uh, they really need guys like uh, Paul Washi uh, to have another really good year. They need Josh Passel to have a, a bigger year. We saw it, I thought, his sophomore year. Um, you know, he fought an injury last year and and wasn't quite as uh, prolific offensively. You know, Drew Warad's another guy that needs to be pretty good. I thought Rhett Kingston had a fantastic sophomore year. He's really dynamic and and could play a big role. So, uh you know, they've got some question marks and and on the back end too, you know, losing Samuelson really hurts. Uh you you lose Cam Lee already, uh, you lose Buffia, uh, Kale Bennett, I believe, was a senior. So um now all of a sudden you have to replace Samuelson. Uh, that's a that's a tough, tough ask. So Ronnie Adder is gonna play a lot of minutes for them. Um, but you know, I, I, I kind of think North Dakota and Denver are the, the two uh front runners in the league.
1: You, you mentioned no, Under Shepherd, I feel like he was there for about fifteen years,
2: yeah, I think so that's sounds <laughs> sound fair uh he, he he definitely seemed like he was there forever and he played every game uh they have someone coming in you know they're 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 gonna that's gonna be a big question mark just someone uh without that type of experience and um you know, their their decor is going to be pretty young next year, pretty inexperienced. Uh, they got, you know, Jared Hilderman play, played a lot of games too on their back end. So Wolf, Hilderman, uh, Sandberg, and Perinovich. So they basically have, uh, you know, 2D back, you know, maybe three. Uh, but the, the guys that are coming back did not play big minutes. So if they get bumped up in the lineup, they're going to be having line matchups. They're not used to, they have some good D coming in. Uh, They have a kid from the twin cities um, who had a really good year in high school. And for some reason, my mind is gapping on his name. He's probably going to be a second round pick, but he was a a really good player. But again, he's a pretty young guy to be thrown in a big role. So it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, how those guys adjust.
0: No, definitely. And I think the NCHC, again, even though the league as a whole lost a lot of great talent this past season, I think there's a lot of great talent that's coming in. And I think that the teams that are still, you know, in the conference um, still have a lot of talent on hand. It's like you said, some of these guys that, um, you know, the freshmen and sophomores this past season um, are going to have to play a lot of bigger roles this year um, with the talent that's walked out the doors. I know for me personally, um, not not only to see how the NCHC is going to pan out, um, if we have a season, but I know that, um, towards the end of the year, this past season, I was kind of getting high on big 10 hockey, how competitive it's getting now in the big 10. Um, and, and same with hockey. like we were just talking about, you know, the talent is there it's just when are they going to finally put that complete season together and have a, a hockey east team go all the way or at least get to the frozen four um i think we i don't know if we've seen a hockey team hockey east team in the frozen four in the last couple of seasons I, I could be wrong um but, but uh you, you know else would be the uh oh that's right with kale mccarr yeah yeah so Uh, So, I mean, one in the last few years, um, not the kind of reputation Hockey East wants to have. Um, But, you know, like Tony and I have mentioned on our podcast a lot of times is we're seeing um, college hockey grow so vastly and quickly that a lot of these teams that you don't think would be competing um, at such a high level are. And it's making uh, each weekend, no matter who you're playing, very competitive. Um, and it's making it for, for a fan, it's making it fun to watch. You know, you're not watching a Friday night game on CBS Sports Net or CBS Sports Network and saying, oh, you know, Western, they just got, you know, they got Air Force. This, why am I watching? You know, it's, that's not the case. It seems like nowadays in college hockey, it's where we're, a lot of the recruitment is getting stronger across the board. It's making college hockey fun to watch.
2: Yeah. And and one of the uh, interesting storylines I think will be Michigan this year. Um, you know, we, we saw Boston university the past few years, they had all these really high end kids, especially starting with that 16, 17 team. And they brought in all these really, really top in first round picks, um, and they never were as good as anyone thought they'd be. You know, I, I know they made the tournament in sixteen seventeen, um, but when you look at the just the talent they had, with you know McAvoy and Keller and Bellows, and uh, I mean they just had this lineup that was loaded. You know, Ottinger and Goal was a I think a first late first rounder, and they couldn't put it together. And now Michigan is kind of going with that philosophy. They, you know, they lose their top three scorers from last year's team, which, you know, you'd think hurts, but they're bringing in a really, really good class. Uh, Kent Johnson from the BCHL, Brandon Brisson, uh, you know, could be a first-round pick. They, they just got Harvard's top recruits, decided to change his mind and come to Michigan. Owen Power is going to be a first-round pick next year. Um, and then you, you talk about they already have uh, John Beecher, who's a first-rounder, and Cam York, who's a first-rounder, and um, just their peer talent is really high. The question is, um, you know, can they, can they fare better than BU did with them? Because BU had all this talent, but they were so young. And, and that's kind of the conundrum a lot of these teams are facing in recruiting. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's going to turn down a Kent Johnson or Brendan Bursoen or super high-end kids like that. But teams seem to be um, conscientiously going the Mankato route and making sure you have older players. Because that, that's kind of the – Mankato and BU were the opposites. Mankato went for the older guys. BU went for the younger, really, really high-end NHL superstars. And uh, Mankato's kind of won out. I know they haven't won an NCAA tournament game, but they've been really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's going to be the interesting storyline. If, if Michigan uh, does not do very well the next couple of years or as well as expected, you're going to see a lot of coaches examine that and say, we want top-end kids, but maybe we can't take too many of them. Maybe – maybe you need the older kids too so i think i think uh, a lot of eyes have to be on michigan
0: i uh, well i'm going to note that and, <laughs> and watch out for that um uh, that's interesting i, I cuz i agree i know um towards the end of this year they were making a run but you almost want, from an outside in perspective you almost wondered, was it just a fluke with the big 10 or or were they starting to piece something together and i think uh and based on what your what your um telling us here is it, they're putting something, to, something together and it, it looks like it could possibly be something great here for them.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they have no shortage of uh, super high-end uh, kids. Um, you know, a lot of the first rounders. And so uh, th- I think that's going to be a really interesting storyline. And you know what, even to an extent, Wisconsin last year, uh, in the year before, they had an incredible amount of high-end uh, talent you look and they had Cole Caulfield a super high-end kid first round pick Wyatt Kalnick was I think a second round pick Alex Turcott was a top five pick Keandre Miller was a first round pick um, Dylan Holloway is going to be a first round pick uh, their decor you know we're all they had all these super high-end kids they finished six games under 500
0: Um, Yeah, Tony doesn't like to bring that up. (laughs) We we uh, we, we talked
1: a lot about the struggles of the Wisconsin Badgers this season on the podcast.
2: Yeah, (laughs) well, it's uh, you know, and I think that's so you know, Bu uh, Bu fared a lot better than Wisconsin, but they I don't think they were as good as everyone thought they were going to be. Wisconsin certainly did not fare as well as I and the you know a lot of others thought they were going to fare. I embarrassingly had them as my number two team preseason. Whoops. Um, <laughs> and and now Michigan's kind of that same philosophy. That's why I think Michigan's going to be so fascinating to watch. Can they make it work? Which Wisconsin and BU really didn't. Um, you know, I I think that's going to be one of the most fascinating storylines to watch.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we had a, uh, and not to get too involved in Wisconsin at hockey here, but uh, we, we, me and Tony kind of had a philosophy where Cole Caulfield scored, wisconsin's odds of winning a game were a lot higher if, he, if unless he was compared to being held off the score sheet um i don't know the statistics i don't know how well of our theory worked out there but uh we did notice a lot of times when he was on the score sheet and then we really noticed those games that he wasn't on the score sheet well you, you want to find out put... uh, the exact numbers on that <laughs> do you have them on you <laughs> i do um
2: oh wow <laughs> i'm nervous when they when he scored a goal, they were seven and six. When when he did not score a goal, they were seven fourteen and two. Oh my God! So they, they were definitely better <laughs> when he scored. Uh,
0: yeah. So, well, I, I always said with Wisconsin, I. It, <laughs> Scoring is not the problem with that. It was defensively and goaltending. I think goaltending was a big, big miss for them this, this season. Yeah, I, past season.
2: I think so. Uh, some people who watched Wisconsin a lot more than me um, were adamant that the defensive problems weren't talked about as much or more than goaltending. They, they said, yeah, goaltending numbers were poor, but it's hard when you're constantly facing great A's. So – Um, That was from someone who watches them a lot more than me. That was from a scout who uh, sees them quite a bit. So uh, that was his philosophy that, no, their goaltending wasn't great, but, uh, you know, it didn't matter who was going to be in goal for that team because they didn't defend well enough. Yeah,
0: definitely. And we've talked about that too. Luckily, they got a good women's program to make up for the difference. They they definitely (laughs) do. And and that
2: that team can defend. (laughs) Uh, that, yeah. can. <laughs> that team has a defensive juggernaut for uh, well over a decade.
0: Oh well, they, Brad, I, um, I always felt
1: they were one that you could put anyone in goal, and 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 they could. I, I felt like Soupy didn't see many shots of the last three seasons.
2: Uh, no, you know she she, she definitely had uh, a great decor in front of her, and um, yeah, you know she. And, and and on top of that, she played well too. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, going the entire NCAA tournament without allowing a goal was quite the the feat for her um, in in 2019, and kind of a cool way to uh, uh, you know celebrate her college career after uh, all she'd been through. Absolutely.
0: Uh, Tony, you got anything else, uh, that we want to talk about here? I do not. I do not. I mean, I I don't either. Brad, Brad, we appreciate it. Um, we definitely would love to see if you, we can get you back on here, maybe mid season at some point. We know you're going to be a busy guy once the college hockey season kicks off here. Um, but we, uh, we do appreciate your time uh, getting on here with us and, and just talking college hockey. This was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, and-
2: if, if we do have a mid season, I will be very, very happy about that. Just that we do have a, a season going. So absolutely I'll come back <laughs> on and we will celebrate the fact that uh, we're watching hockey again. That would be awesome.
1: <laughs> and how can our, how can our listeners uh, find you on social media and whatnot?
2: Yeah. Uh, grandforksherald.com is uh it is our website uh, GF is my uh, Twitter handle. Um, you know that's uh, difficult to spell, but give it a go. See see if you can uh, make it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, we uh, we appreciate your time, and we'll we'll let you go here. And like you said, hopefully we're we'll get you back on here. And when we do, we're celebrating the fact that we're watching college hockey. Absolutely.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Thank Brad. Thank you.